0: And welcome back to the show. I'm so delighted to introduce you to the brand-new mayor of the city of Hartford, Mayor Arunan Arulampalam. And, Mayor, can I just call you Mayor because I'm so afraid that I'm going to
1: mispronounce that, your last name.
3: That, how, that's fine. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, thank you, Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate you having me on. I, I, I tell people here at Hartford if, if they can get Mayor Arunan, then they've got four years to learn the last name.
0: There it is. But how do you pronounce it, just so I know for the next time?
3: Uh, it's Arunan Arulampalam.
0: Our Lampalam. Our Lampalam. It's very musical. Yeah. Our Lampalam. Okay. Thank you. And Mayor, I want to I talk about you and let us get to know you a little bit before we do policies and issues and all that stuff. Sure. You, you were born in Zimbabwe.
3: I was my my family's from Sri Lanka. There was a civil war in Sri Lanka and so my parents left as refugees. They got um married in England and but couldn't stay there long and uh ended up in Zimbabwe, which is where I was born.
0: And I want to hear all about how you came from Zimbabwe here. I, every immigrant story is special and unique and I want to hear it.
3: Yeah, well, you know, my my if people who know geopolitics a little bit know that Zimbabwe was also having some troubles um, in the 80s and going to the 90s and so um, my family actually initially came here um, just on a on a vacation but weren't weren't sure exactly what they were going to do and um, stayed with my uncle who was in California at the time and he convinced them to um, try to immigrate and so my mom got a job as a teacher and uh, we lived for a few years off of my mom's salary as a teacher which was eighteen thousand dollars a year yeah. back then in the early eight, late eighties, um, and uh, you know my parents threw a lot of hard work, through a lot of sacrifice, um, he got a really incredible life for my sister and I, and gave gave us a, a ton of opportunities that you know I can never f- fully repay. But uh, we we landed in this country the first time on Valentine's Day in nineteen eighty seven, so every every Valentine's Day my parents called me up and uh, say Happy anniversary! It's it's uh, it's you know it's the kind of story that that can only really happen in this country.
0: It really can. It's it's extraordinary. And tell me a little bit about Sri Lanka. Your name, our Aul, Lampalam. It sounds. Indian but maybe it's Sri Lankan and that's not Indian give us a little education about Sri Lanka what kind of people you are what kind of faith from the Sri Lankan people most of us don't really know we're not familiar
3: sure yeah no that's not a problem it's a small country it's a it's a little island nation actually off the coast of India so you're not you're not all that wrong um, and there's there's you know it's a beautiful island um, it's a tropical island and beautiful country uh, but was you know hit with a really really sad war And um, my family's Tamil. It's an ethnic group or part of the minority ethnic group. And so, you know, the two ethnic groups the the larger one um, tends to be Buddhist, the smaller one, the Tamils, tend to be Hindu. Although my family um, were converted by some Christian missionaries and um, the. Early part of the last century, and so uh, my, our our family is Christian. Um, but uh, you know, it's the this uh, this conflict really kind of tore apart uh, a lot of families, and my family scattered kind of all over the globe to whoever would take Sri Lankan refugees at the time. And mm. so we've got a lot of family in Australia, we've got a lot of family in England, a lot of family in Canada, uh, a few of us uh, in the U.S. Um, and it's a it's a it's a big, great family, and kind of all, all split all over the globe
0: so your family got to Zimbabwe which took them in and then realized they didn't want to stay in Zimbabwe and then they were able to come here and yeah uh, Okay, wow, that's amazing. And so what languages do you speak, Mayor? We're chatting with the mayor of Hartford. What languages do you speak?
3: <laughs> you know, uh, the school systems in the in the 80s and early 90s, teachers would often tell parents that they should only speak English at home um, so that kids could learn to speak English. So I, I'll tell you, I, I, aside from English, I don't speak any languages very well. Um, I can understand and speak a little bit of Tamil, which is my uh, parents' native tongue, um, I can understand speak a little bit of Spanish, which is um in many ways the city of Hartford's <laughs> native right. tongues or one of the right, native right. tongues. Um uh, but but really English is the only language I speak very well.
0: Well, that makes you very American, Mayor. I mean, that's pretty much America, (laughs) right? That—that is. I mean, that's the story of my father. His parents came here. Their native language was Yiddish, but they, uh, while they spoke Yiddish to each other, they only the kids only decided that they were going to speak English back to their parents. So my father could understand, but not really speak Yiddish, and that's the way they wanted it. Actually, they were very happy with that. Yeah.
3: That's what yeah. it is.
0: Okay. Got it. So, and and now you're here in this country. And so you were educated here, right? You went to Emory, is that right?
3: That's right, yeah, in Atlanta. And that's, that's where I met my uh, then girlfriend, now wife. And she's she's from uh, the Hartford area. From so She grew up in Glastonbury. And uh, I got into grad school here. And after college, I, I followed her to, to, to this area.
0: And you're a lawyer. You went to Quinnipiac?
3: I am, yeah. I'd, I'd say I'm a recovering lawyer. I was, I was, I went to law school. I worked at a law firm downtown uh, for a few years. I practiced corporate law, and uh, and then went into Governor Lamont's administration when when he first uh, got elected at the Department of Consumer Protection.
0: Oh, very good. And your wife, I understand, is a minister. Is that right?
3: Yeah, she is. She's a UCC minister. She's the senior minister of Center Church, which was the founding church of, of Hartford, um, a really, really cool historic church that actually the state constitution was signed uh, in, inside of Center Church. So um, it's, a, it's a great congregation, really incredible history.
0: Does your wife have a Sri Lankan background as well?
3: No, she's uh, you know she's, uh, white Irish family uh, oh, here.
0: Okay, because you guys have Hartford. five children, so just must be so. Yeah, must be such a busy, well, active
3: life, right? People, people in Hartford sometimes like to joke that our family's like the United Nations. Our our oldest daughter was adopted uh, from the Congo. Um, Is that right? Our second, we, we adopted through DCF, and he's half black, half Puerto Rican. We've got biological twins, um, and. And Our youngest is uh, was also adopted through DCF, and he's, he's uh, of Jamaican descent.
0: That's unbelievable. What a beautiful family. Wow. It's a little bit like Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt, but without all the money and the Chateau <laughs> in France,
3: right, Mayor? You yeah, know, I'm, you know, I'm not you, quite as good looking as Brad Pitt. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but still pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. Very, very cool. Are you actively seeking out these children that need you from DCF, or does DCF know that you are such a warm, appropriate family that they're letting you know about these kids?
3: You know, my, my wife and I both um, really wanted to adopt uh even before we got married to each other and so we started international adoption and then um and then that took a while and so we uh adopted through dcf and uh and eventually our oldest came home from the congo we have we've got our four oldest kids are all within just over two years of each other um and so we, we that was kind of a crazy time in our life just because of the way in which those adoptions worked out um we went from having one kid to in one kid to having four kids within six months, um, and it was it was a, a crazy year. And um, and we got back past it, and we were in the middle of COVID, and so my wife and I were both home, and
1: um, well, that was we, nice our, kids. our kids were
3: a little older. Yeah, and I was I was at the state then, so I would talk to the commissioners of DCF very regularly, and I knew um, from talking to them that there were a lot of kids that needed homes and just didn't have uh, a place to go because people were more cautious during COVID. And so we made a decision to reopen our foster care license. And our our plan was to just take in short-term placements during COVID and um, to help where we could. And then to go back to having four kids at the end of it, we got placed with this little beautiful baby boy. And he was supposed to stay with us for three months. And then he was supposed to stay with us for six months. And pretty soon, all of his other options closed off. So um, we, we adopted him. And he's he's now the most spoiled baby in the world <laughs> he's Aww. got four older siblings and and two parents and he knows how to he knows how to use his cuteness very well.
0: And so, what is the age range of your kids? We're chatting with Mayor Arunin Aralampalam of May, of Hartford.
3: Um, we, we've got a 10-year-old, a 9-year-old, twin 8-year-olds, and the youngest just turned three. Unbelievable. Just a, a week ago.
0: Unbelievable. That's a lot of peanut butter sandwiches in the morning. <laughs> that's unbelievable. Yeah, wow! That is Wow. It is. Wow, Mayor, that's really something. And the other cool thing I understand is that you, your family lives in a home that you renovated and revitalized in a formerly blighted neighborhood or a formerly blighted house in a nicer neighborhood. Neighborhood,
3: but tell us about. it. Yeah, you, you did your research. Um, we we live in a, in the Frog Hollow neighborhood. We've always lived in the Frog Hollow neighborhood here in Hartford, which is um, a beautiful neighborhood, a historic neighborhood, but a neighborhood that's had some real disinvestment. And um, you know, our our neighborhood has a seven percent home ownership rate, so it's not mm-hmm. easy to buy a home, especially a home large enough for five kids. So when when our family expanded, we just needed some space um we needed some more room for for our kids to be able to grow up in and we found this um former three. Uh, unit apartment and it had a fire in the top floor about seven years before and had been vacant and um, was, needed a gut rehab. had some real significant um, decay. And so we did a gut rehab and turned it into a single family home that was large enough for our whole family. And uh, it's, it's the only single family home on our street. Um, well, what one is of everything few else? Owner occupied homes. Oh. Uh, most of them are three unit apartments. Um, Um, Most of those owned by people who live outside of our city and, you know, many of them outside of our state. Um,
0: Well, that's a really good segue. Let's talk about that, Mayor, because I was really interested in your passion for this. And look how you walk the walk, not just talk the talk with your own life. And I have been somebody who've been trying to advocate uh, similarly that so much of the development we're seeing is still rental, rental, rental that really yeah. doesn't give people a leg up. It doesn't afford anybody, any hope of any kind of creation of generational wealth, much less their own wealth. And, yeah. and it keeps people stuck to a large extent. And we also know that when you have your own lawn to take care of and it's your own, whatever your own is. Yeah. You tend to take yeah. better care of it. It's just human nature. That's absolutely right. Yeah. It's just a different mindset. It doesn't mean renters are bad, but it's a different mindset when it's your own. And we all know this. Yeah. And I just was wanted to have that conversation with you about, now that you're mayor, about whether or not you could, I mean, if we're going to be doing these high-rises, then at least make some of them affordable condos or co-ops for people and, and help them out so that, They own it. And I was wondering your thoughts about this.
3: Yeah, that's something I've been really focused on. You know, I, I after I was in the Lamont administration, I went to run an organization called the Hartford Land Bank, and we took vacant and blighted properties from the city. Um, but in my time there, we created this program that's really the first of its kind in the nation, where we trained Hartford residents to take over these properties, redevelop them themselves, um, build businesses off of them, and uh, and then to try to create home ownership on the back end. We our city has the lowest home ownership rate in the whole state. We've got a twenty four percent home ownership rate, and as I said. Um, in my neighborhood, 7%. So 93% of folks in my neighborhood are paying rent um, to a place that they'll never see again. And, you know, I I, over the during the campaign last summer was talking about quality of life issues and I was I'd just gotten home and I uh, took this TikTok video of one of my, I I just kind of walked up and down my street and showed a bunch of these rental properties and um, one of them was the property literally right across from our home uh, which is owned by an out-of-state landlord and the grass had grown so tall, it was above my head. I'm six wow. feet tall. So you know um, what? What is that?
0: That's not responsible ownership. I don't care where the landlord is. It's not
3: responsible. It's not. They've got a bunch of elderly residents in there. Um, and it's the only place they can afford to live, but it's they're you know they're making a lot of money off of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you pay rent in my neighborhood and many of the poorest neighborhoods in the city on a two to three bedroom apartment, you're paying more than I'm paying on my mortgage, on my home, um, which fits... All, all five of my kids, um, and so you know the cycle of out-of-state ownership of properties is really leaching wealth out of some of the most marginalized and it is. vulnerable residents. And so you know we're working on. We had we got through a, a whole week last week of housing initiatives in which I said there's some really good landlords in the city, and we're going to try to work with them and had some ideas to try to work more collaboratively with good landlords in the city um, to make sure that we're not penalizing them when right. they shouldn't be. Um, but also, there's a lot of Bad landlords in the city, and mm-hmm. um, we we came up with a problem landlords task force to try to identify who the worst actors were. And we're gonna okay. we're gonna release a list because oftentimes these are people who hide behind LLC structures, and you never you know they hide in anonymity. They make the money off of it, but you never know um, these people uh, are you know slum landlords in and places define, like Hartford and cities all over. And the, they are you gonna define?
0: So, are you gonna define a bad landlord by what? By persistent housing violations? By sat- Violations, violations across yeah.
3: multiple properties, and so yeah. we went to we went to one property on one of the days of housing week. Um, and this company packs uh, properties; they had thirteen properties. 267 units across our city, every single one of those properties had current housing violations on them and and horrible, horrible things. You know, rodents, rodents um, yeah. in these properties and, yeah, and yeah. broken windows and front doors that weren't locked lock, and locked um, and really, really terrible conditions for residents in a city that's uh, the capital city of the state that's one of the wealthiest States in a country that is the wealthiest country in the history of the world. And so um, for us to, uh, to, to just sit by and let that happen um, was something that we felt was, was untenable. And we've we as a city have you know it's not just my administration the past administration I think has gotten had really aggressive on enforcing these violations but what what I want to do is make sure that we're treating these bad actors as bad actors and um, and being strategic about going after those people who are causing the most amount of harm to Hartford residents.
0: We're chatting with Mayor Arunan Arulampalam of Hartford, a brand new mayor of Hartford. Uh, mayor, can you stick around a little bit? I've got a go to a commercial and come back? Great. We're going to
3: continue to to chat
0: with the mayor. We're going to get to know him. 203-333-9422. If you've got a question or a comment for the mayor, feel free to pick up a phone. We'll be right back.
4: Hold up. What was that?
0: This is a first chance we've gotten to get to know the brand-new mayor of Hartford, Mayor Arunan Arulampalam, which is really a beautiful name, and uh, really having a wonderful time getting to know the mayor. If you've got a question or a comment, pick up the phone, 203-333-9422. So, Mayor, welcome back.
3: Thank you, Lisa.
0: So, Mayor, I'm, I really am interested more and more in this housing conversation. What are some ways as a city, if you've identified landlords that you think ought to be penalized, that are persistently having violations on their home, that are having grass go up to people's necks, that are not taking care of rodents, but they're still happy to collect the rent? What, do you, what can you do about it? What are the tools in your toolbox?
3: We have um, – the state has given us the authority to issue blight liens when there are blight violations, and um, previously the max for those liens had been $100 a day. The state just um, increased the authority to $250 a day, which, okay, um, you know, if okay. you have larger buildings, makes a big difference yeah. Um, yeah. In, in being able to hit them in a way that actually matters in the checkbook. So we, we are putting in an ordinance to, to change our maximum – Blight, liens, uh, blight v- fines to two hundred and fifty dollars a day, um, and if they don't pay it, you can you can put liens on the property uh, if you have to make emergency repairs. For you know, one of the properties we went to, uh, had a boiler that was out; and nobody was able to get hot water, and we tried and tried and tried to get the landlord to go in and invest in the boiler. And so eventually, the city of Hartford put fifty five thousand dollars into a boiler um, just to make sure the residents could get hot water in the middle of winter. And wow. uh, but that's fifty five thousand now lean on the property. And so if they're not going to do anything, uh, we accrue those liens and eventually can, through foreclosure, take over that property. Um, but our hope is that it'll force landlords to, uh, and if we could do that across each of the properties, yeah. if you are willing to have one property in really substandard conditions, the chances are it's happening in all your properties. And so if we know that you are a bad actor, then we should proactively be inspecting all of your properties to, to see um, if you were doing that across the board. And so you know, our hope is that we can uh, make it not just the cost of doing business, that we can make it painful enough, um, that people decide that it's, uh, if they're not going to take care of the property, it's not worth investing in Hartford. Um, and we, we, if you're not going to take care of your property, if you're going to keep people in subhuman conditions, then we don't want your dollars here in Hartford. And if you care about those properties, then, then we do want you here.
0: Mayor, one of the things that is the most exciting from my point of view, um, because I'm really a land use freak, um, has been yeah. the idea of spending billions of dollars to deconstruct the highways, the very ugly highways. Mm-hmm that frankly, I think, you know, they bisected the city of Hartford. They've done this to countless cities, but Hartford's a prime example, and it's your city. And they they are ugly, and they have created noise and and a physical structure that has quite literally separated the city. And I have seen plans on the drawing board for river walks and parks that would be more accessible to people again, and sort of a reimagining of what Hartford used to be and could be again, but it would require enormous dollars, federal and otherwise. And I'm wondering if this is a plan that you support or that you support with conditions. How do you look at this?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's actually a, if you enjoyed a really good podcast, I think it's called The Highway That Killed the City. It's about the city of Hartford. And uh, it, it certainly has, um, you know, split us apart in many ways as a city and created physical barriers between our downtown and each of our neighborhoods that I think are felt by the residents who live in our neighborhoods. Um, and it's, like you said, it's, it is it uh, is something with a really hefty price tag to, to fix and we will take over a decade, um, but I think we've got to start making those investments. And it's something that I've been talking to U.S. Department of Transportation about. And met with the secretary uh, there about the the, the state. Uh, Depart- DOT has um, put together this Hartford Mobility Study that's um, initially started off as a study to look at uh, ways in which they could tunnel uh, i 4 which is the highway that splits the north end from the rest of our city, uh, but really expanded into um, the greater Hartford area and looking at a whole number of transportation options to make all the cities in the area a lot more accessible and, um, and improve transportation Flow and so, you know, we we were really supportive of that study and continuing to work closely with um, Commissioner Eucalito and the State Department of Transportation and um, trying to make our case to the federal. Department of Transportation that we need to do, we need the dollars to invest in a transportation infrastructure that allows a city like Hartford to thrive
0: well once once you do that and once it becomes real you're going to have a lot of speculative developers try and buy up yeah. a lot of Hartford and put up high-rise rentals again and you know what I've been thinking about mayor and you know particularly thinking about your own family's story and we we here in Fairfield County are struggling with a lot of 830 issues in which we feel like Mm -hmm. our coastal issues, our density issues, our Vista issues are ignored because of the imbalance of the presumption of how the burden of proof shifts when developers come in with some affordable housing. And so Mm -hmm. we've been been talking about that a lot on the show for, for a number of years. And I've been thinking about what this country would have looked like if after World War II, in the post World War II posterity boom, people who had bought Levittowns and and various suburbs and West Hartford's and Hartford's and Simsbury's and all these places, right, if they had just put up high-rises and caused people to rent, instead they had this more equitable vision that they would subdivide properties and they would put people on little lots of land. They would put them on a quarter of an acre, an eighth of an acre, a 20 by 40 lot sometimes, and sometimes a half an acre or an acre, depending upon where it was. But they would give people a leg up, right, with the GI Bill of Rights and decent mortgage yeah, rates. Right. And so we developed this suburban prosperity, and that's what made America rich. I mean, that's what gave rise to a rich middle class. Largely, when people die, and I'm a probate judge, I can tell you, their single biggest asset most of the time is still their home. That's what it is. Yeah. And if we, if we think about things from a public policy point of view— and we just keep putting up more and more rental housing options for younger people, for middle-aged people, we are not going to help people of the next generation, of the large immigrant cl- class that we have, or non-immigrant class that we have, we're not going to help people become wealthy. And 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 if you ask people, most people like a little patch of dirt, particularly in Connecticut. They like it. They want a yard. They want a fenced-in thing. I was looking, Mayor, that there are these tiny houses going up in Oregon, of all places. But I mean tiny. And... Not, not Oregon, pardon me, Houston, Houston, Texas. And they've been bought right. up overnight, overnight, because people are saying, I prefer this to an apartment. I have a little bit of privacy, a little garden, a little something of my own. And I'm just, I'm putting that out there because I think we have, I think we have been automatic in our response to a lot of developers with ambitious projects to have a lot of rentals. And I think it's been wrong.
3: Yeah, you know, I think I, I've been outspoken uh, since the beginning that I think we've got to change the economic model uh, around housing in the city and the GI Bill was great for a lot of communities but it wasn't for Hartford because most of the city of Hartford was either red or yellow lined um, on those HUD maps and so it wasn't the residents of cities like this didn't get the same access to capital, didn't get the same ability to build ownership as many of our neighboring towns did mm. and and I've been I've been making the case to our uh, state delegation and to uh, anybody who would listen that now is the time to invest in redressing that wrong, yep. to, to to allow for residents in places like Hartford to own. And if you if you look at a neighborhood like mine again, where ninety three percent of people are paying their hard earned dollars out Crazy. the door uh, to to these landlords, versus a place like Glastonbury, not that far away where 80% of people own the properties they live in. You can see where that racial wealth gap that has actually grown in our country since the Civil Rights Bill was passed. It's, it's, it's astonishing, but the gap in wealth between white families and black families is actually larger now than it was when the Civil Rights Act was passed. You can see why that is because the economic model has been set up to really disadvantage families in places like Hartford. And so, you know, our hope is to be really innovative uh, and really different in our funding models to try to intentionally create ownership so that Hartford families have every opportunity to build generational wealth that has been afforded to families in other neighborhoods and other towns.
0: Mayor, we've got a question. Anthony from Shelton. You're on the air, Anthony, with the brand new mayor of Hartford. Go ahead, please.
3: Question, but my my thought is that when the federal government, the state government got involved in rentals, when they started to give such discounts and to protect people because they didn't want to pay their rents for their for whatever reason, you know, tried to cheat the system of the, the landlords as what's happening in Hartford now the legislation to drop leases. I think that's why people say, why don't I live for free? Why should I buy the cow when I'm getting the milk for free? That's my point. That's interesting.
0: Thank you, Anthony. Go ahead, Mayor. You got but about a minute go- to wrap up. Go ahead, Mayor
3: you <laughs> Well, look, I, I don't think there's anybody uh, getting anything for free. It, that our our system of housing has changed a lot uh, certainly since um, the '60s. And you look at you know market rates, hard market rates in some of our poorest neighborhoods. Um, for fo- folks earning minimum wage, many of them are spending the first hundred hours of their work month on their rent. Um, and so, you know, it, it, people are really struggling, and rates are going up. Up. and we've got to figure out ways to fund more sustainable solutions that lead to ownership and I'll tell you when we build home ownership projects here in the city of Hartford for every single house that gets built we have a waiting list usually about 20 people long
0: i believe um, it mayor you're going to have to come back with us again option. we're going to get right off the air it's unstoppable here on thank WICC you. the mayor of Hartford thank you so much thank you so much thank we'll you. be right back thank you.
1: Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
0: Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com.